Jason and Jenny, it's great to have you with us this evening. Great to be here. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, I've known you for a few years now, and uh, we share a little bit of a common backstory, but we're going to get onto that in a little while. Uh, but to begin with, can you just tell us whereabouts you are in the country? We're in Lincolnshire, um, so sort of middle of England, towards the east coast, not far from the town of Sleaford and Bourne. So we're in between, if you know the cities, we're between Peterborough and Lincoln. So that's where we are. Okay, certainly not Peterborough and Lincoln, yeah. Um, and are, are you from there originally, both of you, or somewhere else? Yeah, we, we've always lived around the area. So um, we actually, when we got married, we only moved kind of a few miles from where we both kind of grew up. So, yeah. Well, yellow Same area. Yeah. Lincoln, yellow bellies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe one day, you know, you'll you'll move up to Yorkshire, perhaps, but we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. <laughs> we um, love yeah. So what, what do you do there in Lincolnshire? Uh, well, I pastor um, a, a chapel, a small evangelical church in Bourne, um, also by vocation, also I have to run my own business as well. Jen works. I work part-time, yeah. so just to help to um, supplement yeah, the ministry. Right? Just to support Jason, yeah. yeah. And, and family, you have children? We have four, and we... We also have an extra, which is a nephew as well now. So uh, we have three boys, girl, three boys married. Um, Jasmine is has just finished at York Bible College, and Billy is fifteen. Um, he's recently come to the door, so yeah. yeah, which is incredible. Yeah, yeah. And we have th three grandchildren and one one pending. Due. Due any day. <laughs> wow, you guys don't look old enough to uh, have grandchildren, that's for sure. Um, have to stop. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Now, I understand you met each other whilst you were at school, but be before we, yeah. we talk about that, a little bit about your upbringing, perhaps with you first, Jenny. Were you brought up in a Christian home? No, it was far from that. Um, it wasn't any boundaries as such apart from having to be in by a certain time and um so yeah no boundaries not really brought up with any religious background um yeah atheist. yeah atheist household really is okay. the best way to describe it <laughs> and what about for you jason um mum and dad were believers of a sort they had my dad particularly had been involved in Pentecostal churches and the revival sort of uh, sort of faith healing movement, I guess, in the 60s. So he'd been saved at some crusade, and but they never really followed through on their, their faith. So I was, I, I was brought up believing there is a God, um, but really that was about it. I did go to the Anglican church on and off um, because I was searching, but I didn't have... Uh, a ground in, in Christianity. So would you say for both of you then that you, you never really thought much about God when you were young, never never really sort of figured much in your life? I used to go to the local um, 
like Sunday school with my friend. Um, when I was about 12, I used to stay around and the, the conditions were that I went to Sunday school, which was, which actually I really enjoyed. Um, I suppose as a youngster, I lived down the Fen, so we used to often just go for like long walks and often I used to just go walking on my own. And some of the things that I used to think about were, were things like, you know, what happens when you, when you get old and die, where do you go? Um, and I used to think of, I used to be thinking about when I got married and that when I got married, it would be for life that, you know, I would be with my husband forever as long as, you know, till we died. So although I wasn't brought up kind of in a religious house, I think those things, they're there, aren't they? Or maybe it was just something that I picked up from Sunday school. I don't know, but. I did really enjoy Sunday school. There was something there that I really, really enjoyed. So. Yeah. And what about you then, Jason? Did did you have those deep thoughts as well about getting married and sort of <laughs> thinking about life beyond <laughs> death and stuff? Well, I was more uh, as a as a young lad. I was into more into uh, football, but then also um, just just creepy crawlers you know um i used to i used to i like i like creation i like well, i wouldn't call it that we'd call it nature um going out and just um finding things and trees and but um apart from that i did as i grew a bit older into my um probably age 10 11 was really interested in ghosts and ufos and Loch Ness monster and arthur c Clarke and all that sort of stuff Oh, that's really interesting, isn't it? You know, Jenny's sort of thinking about marriage and, and, and life and death. You're thinking about ghosts and creepy crawlies and UFOs. That's, uh, that's the, the male and female mind right there, I think. Um, so you met at school. And uh, at what age did you meet yeah. at school? How old well, were you? We kind of, I was, I say we met at school. We knew each other at school. Right. Um, but we didn't actually start going out since I left school. So um, I would have been 16 and Jason would have been, Jason would have still been at school, but I would have already left. He would have been 15. That's when right. we started going out. So you, you, you're after a toy boy, really, Jenny, that's what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you got one. There you go. Yeah. I understand as well, Jason, for you around that sort of time, um, moving away from, from ghosts and UFOs and creepy crawlers and stuff, you, you got into the wrong crowd. Would that be a right way of putting it? And, and what was that like? What was happening? Um, the wrong crowd, I guess, from uh, school onwards, really, up to becoming a Jehovah's Witness. Mm -hmm. um, it was this, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was just... <sighs> Well, I guess a lot of kids go through the same identity crisis, I guess, and uh, find solace in in the crowd. Uh, yeah. And so, and Jenny, you were going out with him at this time. Yeah, we used to hang around with the same friends. So, uh, well, 
yeah. We, we were we were mods. Yeah, so we, we, we were mods. We used yeah. to go up to Scarborough. Yeah. And Sort of go on the rallies and go on the rallies. So did, yeah. did you have a, a Lambretta or a Vespa or something like that? Or? Uh, a Vespa. A Vespa. Oh, wow. Yeah. Proper yeah. mods. Yeah. Proper mods, yeah. 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 So nice. Jason's hanging around with the wrong crowd. How is that affecting you, Jenny? I mean, would you say you were as well or was it just him? Um, I suppose it kind of just started i suppose so because we had the same friends we were all hanging around together and then and then we kind of i suppose stopped once we got married we stopped doing those things well we we we, we stopped we were you know we were no longer once we got married we no longer were involved in in uh the sort of modism um but we did you know without without an identity and by that time i already had strong view on religion um i i i continued in the crowd yeah um the reason for that is because i didn't see any purpose to life mm. and i felt that i had to have everything now um i looked to my father who was a land worker and had worked all his life whether that be picking potatoes or cleaning up ditches or very heavy manual work and i thought there's no way i'm going to do that for you know, 40 years and then drop dead. I, I want it all now. And so I, I, I had, uh, by that time, which would be in my early 20s, I already already had a um, a view of the world, a worldview, which had been formed really through my uncle. Mm-hmm. And Jenny, you told me that almost out of desperation, you, you turned to God for help. I did. And that was partly because by this point, I mean, we got married when we was 19. So it was the day before my 20th birthday. We had got um, first son at 21, second at 23, and on it goes. Um, The desperation was because I I just wanted my husband. um, I knew, I knew from what his uncle had kind of taught him. I knew that the only... I suppose it was part selfish in a way. The, the only thing that he would listen to would be to the word. And I wanted, I wanted, um, I didn't want our marriage to end. I wanted to put it right. And I just, out of desperation, turned to God and just asked for his help. And <laughs> that's when the JWs came knocking, the Jehovah's Witnesses. So, um, so you've yeah. mentioned you mentioned your uncle Jason a few times. Um, so he he was a Jehovah's Witness. My uncle uh, had been a Catholic, and then in the early seventies he um, had the JWs come round. He read um, the two Babylons, um, and he felt that the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church were apostate. And so the JWs, you know, when they came around and sort of confirmed it and they used the Bible, he became a JW in 75 because, of course, in 1975, they they felt that the uh, 6,000 years of human history was would end. And the um, implication was that the paradise earth would begin. So he did all that. But then he fell away in 76, mostly because of his wife, who really was very against it and 
you know, they were very, I don't know what they're like so much now, but they were very strict then, um, you know, and they told him to leave his wife because she wouldn't. Um, she liked Christmas too She loved much. Christmas, she wouldn't <laughs> conform to his, you know, she put the tree up, he didn't want the tree up. But anyway, okay. he was the one who, he was the one who, who noticed I had an interest in uh, the supernatural and also an interest in the Bible. And it, it was he who began to indoctrinate me most weekends, actually, because I was so curious um, with with um, Jehovah's Witness teaching. So although he fell away, he remained uh, in his mind uh, a, um, a Jehovah's Witness. And he taught me and really he taught me there were, was only one choice, which was to become a Jehovah's Witness or die at Armageddon. And because I couldn't convince Jen to become a witness, then I felt, well, I might as well do whatever I want and die at Armageddon. Because in there, in, in the Jehovah's Witness teaching, they teach annihilationism, which is the when you die, that's it, you're finished. So um, I had nothing to lose, really. So this is interesting. So your JW uncle was teaching you about what the Jehovah's Witnesses believed. You were interested in that. Jen, you, you weren't. No. But then, then after this, these JWs knocked on your door after your prayer. Is that right, Jenny? Yeah, I actually started a Bible study with them without Jason. <laughs> I kind of sprang it on him when he kind of appeared and I said to him that I'd started a Bible study with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, I mean, my intention was to put our marriage back on course. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So I, I just I wanted to I just wanted to learn about the the things of God to actually, you know, the Bible verses mm. to put everything back on track. So, Jason, you, you heard about this. Did you end up joining Jenny then? Or how, how did that work? How did you both get involved? Or You know, um, Jen had had a serious car accident when she was 16 and I thrust all these Watchtower books on her. She'd rejected it. And all of a sudden she wanted to have a study. So I was... Um, uh, you know, I'd already got myself in a real mess by then, so I wasn't particularly keen to get involved. And I knew what it would mean. I knew that it would mean basically giving up what I was doing, changing my whole lifestyle. And the very first time we went to the Kingdom Hall, I said to Jen, yeah. everything's <laughs> going to change. Every, yeah. You know, this is, this is, nothing will be the same, um, because I knew what the commitment involved was. So... I was apprehensive, but in the end, I, I went along with it. And, uh, wow. Yeah. And it is quite a commitment, isn't it? I, I was in uh, Bradford City Centre yesterday. We, we had a book table, and I was speaking to a guy who was married to a Jehovah's Witness lady. And I asked him why he wasn't a Jehovah's Witness. And he said, because it takes too much commitment. He said, I, I like my golf too much. That's what his words were <laughs> to me. But, so, yeah. but you ended up getting involved and, and joining the Jehovah's Witnesses, yes. so you, you became baptised Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah, we did. Wow. And, and so how did things change for you as a family then? And how did Jason change, Jenny? Uh, for, well, as a family, we, we obviously we spent more time as a family in one sense. Um, we, did, we did everything together as a family. Jason was, well, he, he turned into... The husband that I've kind of been searching for. So 
you know, he was he, he was the man that that I hoped for in a husband. Um, so yeah, everything was going really well. I mean, we we did we spent time with other um, Jehovah's Witness families, so um, we got obviously to know everybody, and it, it was just it, it, it's just like one big family when obviously when participating put yourself right in the center um it's like everything isn't it you put yourself in the center and it just you just wow. you just get engulfed in the whole thing and it's just your life and so this is interesting again isn't it because you, you prayed for god to help out of desperation <laughs> there's a knock on the door and you, you hear this fairly often don't you amongst people you know they'll say well you know i was i was searching i was desperate i was I shouted out to God and there was a knock at the door and it was the, the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons or somebody. But you must have thought, because it changed Jason um, into the man you wanted him to be, the husband you wanted him to be, you must have thought this was God at work. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I honestly did. Um, and, I, and I just loved the whole family, the, the whole ethos of the Jehovah's Witnesses. It was, everything was just, at that time, was really, really good. It was it was a pleasure to kind of be part of all of that. And what about for you then, Jason? How how did it affect you signing up fully and getting involved with the Jehovah's Witnesses? I'm I'm an all or nothing guy, you know. I'm either <laughs> in or I'm not in. And if I'm in, I I throw my whole self into it. So I just got completely involved. Um, I think within three years i was a ministerial servant they were short what, what, what's a ministerial servant jason just explain yeah thank you right okay so um it's equivalent within church environment of a deacon so they have certain responsibilities within the um, kingdom hall which is mm -hmm. their meeting place um so an elder is slightly higher has a a, a greater role and they're the two main sort of uh, male roles as well not female so yeah so that and then i was being groomed to become a an elder and the responsibilities would involve preaching from the front um shepherding count which is counseling people um and just taking on roles of um leadership so so yeah i was i was moving forward in all of that uh, we were responsible for what what then was the book study so a book study was on a tuesday they would have a uh, a Jehovah's Witness or a Watchtower uh, book, which you would go through as a group with uh, questions and answers. And uh, I used to lead that and led that for, for many years. And, and you obviously had how many children at the time you were in the Jehovah's Witnesses? Um, by the time we'd finished, we had four, three boys and a girl. And how old were they while you were in the JWs? I mean, how did it affect them? Did it affect them? Um, yeah, I mean, we obviously when we first went along, um, Jacob would have been a year and a half old, and Jordan was literally like a two-week-old baby. So you know, we had, we just had the two of them to start off with. Um, so they kind that was all they knew really that was their life mm. and so that would have meant 
for them as well as for you um not celebrating birthdays christmas things like yeah. that and yeah. were, were they okay with that or was that difficult for them um they were okay with it what we what we used to do was go out um we would go out in the january sales and we would just buy buy them take them to toys r us or somewhere and we would have like a, a massive present giving day and we would just spoil them i mm. suppose um i know that other Jehovah's witnesses used to have like a gift day on their wedding anniversary as well so um yeah we just we just used to i think they liked the fact that they could have presents mm. and they didn't have to wait for them you know mm. yeah oh it's interesting for the kids yeah um so you you are jehovah's witnesses you're doing everything that jehovah's witnesses are doing and that people are familiar with the door knocking and everything um very active very busy did you have during that period of time you're with them did you have any doubts did you ever sort of think is this true or isn't it true or were you always fully convinced it was right um i honestly confess that the first time i ever went out knocking on the door my first thoughts was i hope that anybody that i know can't see me and and i was like what am i doing mm. um they were my first thoughts and as time went on people would say to me you know if i'd say oh you know what are you doing this weekend or what what you're up to and they'd say i'm doing so and so and i say oh I, I can't do that and they'd say why not why are you allowing somebody to tell you what to do mm. and that used to rattle around in my mind a lot mm. um and I, I think these little gems you can mm. hang on to and then they kind of build up and build up don't mean to a mm. big a massive mm. gem <laughs> and it comes out <laughs> yeah what about for you jason um I mean, a Jehovah's Witness, if they're honest, is waiting eagerly for Armageddon. Yeah. Armageddon is going to bring in the Paradise Earth. The Paradise Earth will bring in a whole new order, and you are going to be top of the tree. You know, you're going to get the house you want, the land you want. Everything's going to be perfect. You're not going to die. You know, death will be gone, and you'll live eternally on this Paradise Earth. So everything is geared to this Paradise Earth. And with each passing year, it gets harder because you're you're striving mm. and it is striving it's working hard yeah. five days a week or seven days a week to please jehovah and please his organization and, and by that i mean the watchtower the bible and the tract society they're really the two are synonymous and um you get tired i mean some some can you know if you're doing it habitually you just get used to it but but you still also get tired because it's self-effort. Yeah. And I think the, um, I think that I think for me the, looking back, the worst thing was there were no Christians that I met, or only well, say football, who really challenged me um, as to my faith. Uh, one was a Pentecostal lady. She simply said she'd been to the Kingdom Hall and there was no Holy Spirit, which um, again is a, is a phrase that some will be uh, understand or some won't, but. Uh, that bothered me what that meant and then there was a street preacher who um, had said to me um, he said I'll pray you find the real Jesus so there was a few things mm -hmm. but I guess 
I guess really what bothered us as, as time went on was um, the way that people began around us to be treated. And I think for me personally, I felt that it was, um, it's very, there's, there's no voice. You don't have a voice. You know, um, it is top down, hierarchical, and it's just jump and jump. Um, and there's no room there for any um, questioning, no room for any, it's just, it's just really tough. Um, and I think a lot struggle with that. Some, some play the game where there'll be Jehovah's Witnesses at Kingdom Hall and then just do their own thing. Yeah, like double lives. Double lives. But yeah. we weren't like that. We were, we were fully sold into this. So um, it just got harder and harder. And we saw people marginalised yeah. um, for not being active, mm -hmm. families, children. Yeah. So as a Jehovah's Witness, do you ever feel like you, you have a relationship with God? Do you feel like you know God or, or feel safe as a Jehovah's Witness that, that you will survive this impending Armageddon? Did you ever feel secure I, in any way? I, I was just thinking when Jason was saying all that, all the, all the things that you go through, all the things that you do on a weekly basis, knocking on doors and everything, the, the whole of the time, it's for a maybe. It's not a sealed deal. Is for a maybe. I kind of, you know, it's not till you kind of come out and then you look back in that you realise it was for a maybe. Mm. Um, and even when we used to pray, it didn't ever feel, I don't know, I used to pray, but I'd, I'd often used to think that God wasn't listening or going to answer my prayers. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, so Jehovah of the Watchtower is a very distant God. There's no relationship with his son because that's not allowed because Jesus is obviously in their theology and their teachings is simply an angel. Um, so the relationship has to be Jehovah, which is for them the divine name of God. Mm -hmm. But he's so distant, so remote. Um, and to be honest, a lot of the prayers are generic and they're just repeated. And a lot of them are simply... Uh, Jehovah, we pray for your organization. Um, so there's a lot of directed prayer towards the movement itself. So the very personal relationship you would expect with God is not there. So all that time and all that effort, there's, there's no security, no assurance. And no, nothing. No. I mean, what did what did you think of of, of you mentioned you, you met a, a few Christians, not many maybe really interacted with you, but what, what as a Jehovah's Witness, did you think of, of Christians and the, and the church? Uh, um, I, I felt that they were apostate, that they had lost their way um, centuries ago, and that Jehovah's Witnesses were like a restored church, and that they'd got the pure doctrines that had been lost. Mm -hmm. um, we felt we were the only ones evangelizing. Uh, I had no understanding of church mission, that there'd been all these missions. Uh, um, I felt that we were the only ones using the divine name. You know, Trinity, of the, uh, which is this uh, concept of God being um, three in one, which is a, a Christian doctrine, that was rejected. So, you know, you can 
just with that doctrine alone, you can erase all of all of Christendom. So we felt they were apostate, um, and uh, we could point to pagan images and all that sort of thing. So there's there's we didn't think there was anything else. Now, there's so many more things I, I could ask you, and we could talk about lots of things, but maybe some questions will come in about some of the other things, but we need to just move it on a little bit then. So as committed sure. members of Jehovah's Witnesses, um, what changed? You've, you've hinted at a few sort of issues that you're beginning to have. So what, what caused you to, to really begin to doubt the Jehovah's Witnesses and start to make your way out? I think for me it was... Obviously, because men, uh, women are more emotional than men. Um, I think it was just the way that pe- that individuals were treated. Um, just the, it was almost like a, a conditional love. Um, people were not given the time that they needed. They weren't shown the love that they needed. They were um, thrown out or thrown out of the organisation when actually that's not what they needed. They needed they needed love. They needed God's love. Um, and I, I mean, <laughs> I just, one of my best friends was treated very badly and um, it made me very bitter. It, it made me very, very bitter. So I think it was, it was the starting of the Lord really just showing us that that's not where he wanted us anymore. Yeah, you were feeling the same, Jason. Uh, yeah, I was just completely exhausted. I was just desperate for Armageddon for this paradise, and uh, you know, as the as the months and years rolled on, it just I was just exhausted. I think I had a nervous breakdown, and I needed time out of the whole thing. But also, I saw what Jen saw. Um, and I did address it with the um, the elders, and they have a like an overseer for the area called a circuit overseer. I did meet with him, and I, and I expected some you know positive feedback. But I was told um, that if I wasn't happy with the way things were, that I, I should step down from my position. So um, yeah, that was really painful. It felt like I'd been used for all that time, and and then sort of just tossed to one side. So. We both of us agreed to take time out and so we stepped away from the whole movement um, just to try and, I don't know, regain some normality. We were just on a treadmill and we needed time out. Our eldest son struggled. Um, he used to go along with my mum and dad. Um, that's where we were at at that, at that time. So yeah. you, you, you were with them for around about 10 years, but it took another sort of maybe four years before just fully yeah. free and and yeah many many people have come out of groups like the jehovah's witnesses and then they they just go off into atheism and, and just suddenly find freedom and they're like you know i can do whatever i want to do but for you guys you you've ended up still hanging on to god and, and becoming christian so how did that come about for you Think we both needed time out we both needed to be kind of in the wilderness a bit to to try and like work it all out it was um obviously leaving the jehovah's witnesses is very painful because we had then no friends <laughs> so um we decided to spend more time as a family um 
with the children. I mean, Jordan and Joel, the two younger boys, daughter wasn't so bad because she was quite young. Um, they were quite happy that we had actually left because they weren't treated very nicely <laughs> at the Kingdom Hall by some of the elders. So um, obviously there was issues with the eldest son. Um, so there was a lot of there was a lot of bridges we needed to kind of build, especially with our family, to try and um, regain some of those years back, really, which which was really, really hard. But we needed that time out. And there was, there came a point where I just, personally, myself, I just felt that I needed, that I just felt that the Lord was calling me, that I needed to spend time with God and he did that <laughs> in some strange ways one of them was by going to see a faith healer which sounds really bizarre but it was actually um so many years to the day of the car accident that I had when I was 16 and um Jesus was showing me that he was real and that he was alive and that he exerts power. And I went to see him and I had problems with my shoulder and my arm. Um, and it was it was it was an absolute miracle because he showed me through that, um, through the Holy Spirit, that he was alive. And that was kind of the start for me of my walk, mm. which was amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. And what about for you, Jason? It was far more cerebral. My, um, <laughs> I would imagine it would be, yeah. <laughs> it was, um, I, I needed the time out, but then there came a point where I wanted to check again. I wanted to go back over the ground I'd trod. I wanted to be more objective and look again at what I'd been taught, look at the Bible again. Um, that old preacher who said, I pray you find the real Jesus, that was really my prayer. Mm. I didn't know who I was praying to or whether there was even a God. But I began to study and use various translations. And uh, I, I started in Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and I realized that Jesus, the Jesus I'd been taught, was not the Jesus of Scripture. And slowly, God, um, I believe, revealed himself directly through the Scriptures. And, um, and we both eventually came to faith. But I think for those Jehovah's Witnesses that just um, throw it all in and become atheists, um, I think that's just a knee-jerk reaction to being hurt. Mm. You know, a lot of the forums out there are very hate-filled. Yeah. And um, it's very, I mean, I've been on them and they just shoot me down. There's you know, one who's religious is, is crazy. So um, unfortunately, they haven't given their, the, themselves time to actually really look into it. And I'd really encourage those who, you know, in that pace of, of anger and bitterness to it's nothing to do with the bible or god it's it's a movement that has made them feel like that and so being objective and looking again i don't really um that's what i need to do and had to do um and then we we both came to faith fantastic now would you say that where you're at now as christians is very different to where you're at as jehovah's witnesses i mean we talked a few a few moments ago about when you're with the Jehovah's Witnesses, lots of effort, striving, tired, no assurance, all this kind of stuff. Is that still how you feel or has things changed for all, in, in, in terms of all those things for you guys? 
Wow. Um, it's completely the opposite. Every day is a pleasure. It's a joy. Um, just knowing that, you know, that, that Christ has given his life for me. Sorry. <laughs> and that he loves us more than anything in the whole wide world as individuals. Um, and just because of that, everything that we do, we do for love for him. So it's a complete reversal, absolutely complete. Yeah, yeah. Our motivation is love. Yeah. That he first loved us, whereas previously it had been a goal, working towards a goal of, of, of saving our own skins. Um, whereas now it's a, it's a response to God's love that we serve. Um, obviously, we are busy and uh, we still need time out, but there's not the pressure. No. And the assurance of our eternity is there. We, we, as the Bible explains, we're saved by grace alone through Christ alone. Grace is that um, undeserved love of God, something that we don't deserve that he offers as a gift. And, you know, once we grasp that, I mean, it, it just floored us that, that that the God of the universe would would offer um, eternity through faith. Yeah. It's just and uh, yeah, so life is completely different. I'm I love I, you know I'm, I'm still cerebral. I love the word. I've, I've done my theology degrees. <laughs> I've just finished my MA, um, and uh, I wanted you know I teach so. Yeah, life is good, and we now have um, an eternity to look forward to yeah. with Jesus. I think I think the difference is is like being excited for each new day. Mm. Whereas, as a Jehovah's Witness, it was kind of you got to the point where you didn't want to get up the next day. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, everything lot. was a, like drudgery. It yeah. was just so hard work. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. as now we've we've got something to live for. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a high suicide rate within within the cults. It's been amazing to hear your story. We we need to sort of draw it to a close, really. But yeah. just the transformation um, is just fantastic to know that it's just about trusting in what Christ has done. There's nothing we can yeah. do. It's not about our efforts, yeah. our striving, because that does wear us out and gets yeah. us nowhere. But our faith in Christ is, is is what saves us. It's that's all we need. He did all the work for us. Yeah. And like you say, we yeah. just then live out of that um, and, yeah. and work from that position of salvation and safety. Uh, it's yeah. been wonderful to speak yeah. to you both, Jason and Jenny. There's going to be lots of questions for you, I'm sure, um, later, things I've not even touched upon. But may God bless you both in, uh, in your ministry there in uh, Lincolnshire and all that he has for you in the future. Thank you for being with us. Great stuff. Well, it's great to be with you again tonight. And it's really good to have heard Jenny and Jason's story and I don't know about you but maybe you're you're here tonight and you have a very religious background and you're thinking to yourself I can that resonates a lot with me maybe there's other of you listening tonight and going I don't I'm just not religious I don't have really a religious background so I'm not quite getting everything what's really interesting I think at the moment in in the 21st century is that in, if you listen to the social commentators pretty much everyone is commenting it seems like in constantly they're commenting about how religious this world is in which we live that there's this religious f 
fervor. There's this kind of great spirit of a desire to be worshipping stuff, to be religious in our language. And it's there everywhere um, from Silicon Valley, you know, Facebook, Google, uh, all, all the works. They're always Twitter. There's always this kind of element of kind of preaching um, about these these organizations that you end up um, being on the receiving end. Certain people being banned from speaking at freedom of speech issues. Everyone seems to be preaching. There seems to be this religious spirit around. And you can't escape it. Um, you just you don't have to be on any of those things to just go into a supermarket or into your local um, Starbucks or McDonald's or whatever. And it seems, as you see on the screen, all these different places are, are preaching at us and telling us we need to believe certain things. And if we don't, we are deemed religious um, heretics and we should be stoned or, or whatever. It's not always so uh, quite so physically dangerous as that, but certainly there seems to be this constant pressure on us to have to believe what every form of advertising is is telling us to believe about life at the moment and it can almost feel as though we are like a cherry tomato in a vice that we're being squeezed and unless we agree we're going to explode one day and the pips are going to go and splatter everywhere there's this religious fervor around and you, you see it even in, in recent week with the, the cricketer, Ollie Robinson, who, um, despite this religious nature of what's going on at the moment, there seems to be there's no forgiveness, there's no redemption available for anyone. So this cricketer, if you haven't heard, who, who tweeted some things when he was 18, some really dodgy things, which he shouldn't have tweeted, um, but now he's being basically shunned and he's been, there's been this offence archaeology dig basically done into his past and all these previous tweets have come to the fore and he's had to basically be booted out of the England um, squad in terms of cricket. There seems to be no forgiveness if you go against the ideas um, of, of the current world in which we live. And, and, and the reason I raise all this is because we've obviously been hearing from Jason and Jenny about um, they were previously in the Jehovah's Witness, a kind of relig this religious movement, and now they're followers of, of Jesus, they're Christians now. And one of the questions that can happen to all of us is, which I think we need to answer is, which God is true in, in this world? Is it the God of the Jehovah's Witness? Is it the God of the Christians? Is it the God of the spirit of this age, which all those organizations I just mentioned previously in the adverts, etc. Is it the God of this age that they are, are pushing on people to believe in? The question is, which God is true? And it's a massively important, crucial question for, for us all. I love the way that Jason and Jenny talked about the fact that now they, they know they've encountered the real Jesus before they had a, a false Jesus, but now they've encountered and they know the real Jesus. So, so which God is true? In order to help us in the next 10 minutes, just think about this question. I want to jump back into an ancient story, an ancient true story from, from the Bible and it comes about roughly about 2,850 years ago or so, something like that. And it's a story about ancient Israel, the, the country of Israel. They had a situation where all of the people in Israel were being swayed to believe in these false gods, what were called Baal, B-A-A-L. And there was a guy who stood up to them and said, actually, no, what we need to do is believe in the true and the living God, not false dead gods. And so he said, the only way we're going to know which God is true is to have a fight, no, is to have a contest. 
and we're going to go into this competition and if you engage in the competition we can work out who the true god is and so what i want to do today is tell us briefly a bit about that story to read a little bit about it and then for us to think for ourselves which god is true so this is the situation um just a snippet from the story which you can find in the book of one kings um chapter 18. ahab is the king of israel and he is fully in 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 line with all the, the gods of uh of Baal as such. So Ahab, it says, sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. So this is what they decide to do. He says, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God and I will call in the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Now, everyone agreed to this competition, to these rules um, and to, to the, the rules of the contest. So they were going to slay these two bulls and, and the the prophets of Baal were going to cry out to their God to send fire miraculously, and that would prove that their gods were true. Elijah was going to pray to his God, the living God, he calls him, and 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 if he sends fire, it proves he is true. So you've got this contest. If you like, when he talks about the Lord, very simply, it's a way of talking about Jesus. I can explain more about it later if you've got questions, but it's Jesus versus Baal. It's this question of who is the real God? Would the real God please step forward? And the one who's going to step forward is the one who's going to answer by fire. So one of the questions that Elijah asked in that little snippet I read, which I think is really important for us all tonight, is this. He asks the Israelites, how long will you waver between two opinions? Um, if the Lord is God, worship him, follow him. If he's not, follow, follow Baal, follow, follow something else. But let's, let's, be, let's be people who are committed to pursuing the truth and following the God that is true. So he says, how long will you waver? And the word waver means to, to be limping, to be lame, to, to kind of uh, just to be unable to really move properly um, through life. And what, it, what, it, what Elijah is saying to us is that if we always are people who, if you like, um, try to play the neutral card, try to play the magnolia palette in life and say, well, I, I don't know which God is real. I don't know which one is real. I'm just going to kind of be someone who is a bit like Cupranol and I'm on the fence of every fence in the in the UK right now I'm just going to sit there in the middle then then what Elijah is saying to each one of us tonight and what God is saying to each one of us tonight is it's, it's a painful place to sit on the fence and if you waver if you constantly sit on that fence you are going to be limping through this life and limping on into and through our eternity as well so Elijah said it's very, very important. It's crucial that we work out who the true God is. Is it Baal um, or is it Jesus? Baal, for those of us who aren't familiar with, our, with that term, which is probably most of us, means a spiritual Lord. And, and simply put, it means which, uh, which God or which kind of thing in life is driving you. What's getting you out of bed in the morning, motivated you for the day? What's kind of consuming your thoughts late at night? And if it's a false God, if it's not a, a real God, if it's not the living God of the world in the universe, 
then what it will do is it will master you and it will lock you up if it's a false god. And no matter what you do, no matter how much you strive, no matter how much you work your fingers down to the bone, nothing you do will be able to prize open that, that lock that is on your life because you're following uh, a false god. Not even WD-40 will do it for you. Nothing will be able to unlock um, your life if you're following a false god. And Elijah really said to, to the shows us through the story that there, there are two ways we can know tonight whether we are following a false god because we're all religious, we're all worshipping, we're all following something, whether we're following a false god or whether we are following the living god. And here are the two ways that he that we, we can know. As, as Elijah goes in on uh, and the, as the story gets told, we're told that the, the prophets of Baal are the first ones to call on their gods to, to send fire. And it says that as they pray, nothing happens. And so what do they do? They, they then says that what the next thing they do is they start to dance. They go crazy in their dancing. It's like dad's dance has gone completely wrong. They're going absolutely mad, trying their very best to perform for Baal, trying to very best to perform for their God. If I can just dance for him, if I can just do this, if I can just show I'm moral, if I can just show I'm virtuous, if I can just show I'm educated, if I can just show I'm on the right side of history, then, then if I can just perform and be this good person and be better, then, then my God will answer me. And there's absolute silence. They hear nothing. So despite um, what they perform, nothing happens. And, and Jason and Jenny were talking very candidly about how, as Jehovah's Witnesses, they were having to basically strive and work. And it was just exhausting um, because nothing they did, every dance they did, every time they were told to jump through this hoop or jump through that hoop, nothing actually worked. Why? Well, it's because it was a sign that they were following a dead God, a God that isn't actually real. There's a second thing that the, the prophets of Baal go on to do, which helps us to realise whether we're following that false God or a living God tonight as well. And the second thing they do is having tried to perform and, and realising it's getting them nowhere, being totally exhausted. They then get knives and they start to slash their, themselves. They start to cut themselves. And, and that, thing, I think, shows us what we end up doing so often. Sometimes people will do this physically, some, and it may be you tonight, but others of us, we just do it internally. We, we slash ourselves, we beat ourselves up, and we're just in this complete inner turmoil and drudgery and pain because nothing we can do will let out the pain that is going on in our lives because of the reality that we are following something that's not actually true and good and beautiful. That's how you can know whether you are following a, a true living God or not. Are you having to constantly perform are you having are you ending up cutting yourself deeply because of of the God that you are following tonight? So nothing happens for, for the Baal prophets. The, the fire doesn't fall. But Elijah then does something very different. He then prays to his God as if he knows him personally and he talks to him. And, and this God listens to Elijah because Elijah knows that he serves the living God, the true God, the one God who created the entire universe and he he speaks freely to his god because he unlike the prophets of baal he actually has a living relationship with him and listen to what happens as elijah prays he says at the time of sacrifice the prophet elijah stepped forward and prayed lord the god of abraham isaac and israel this personal relational god let it be known today that you are god in israel and that i am your servant and have done all these things at your command answer me lord answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, 
and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And Elijah had been chucking loads and loads of water over everything to show that his God is really true. If he could send fire and that it would burn through that. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Why was Elijah calling out to this God who he knew personally? Well, it's because he knew him personally and he knew that he would answer. And, and he knew he'd answer by fire. And he wasn't crying out because he wanted to put on some kind of show to everyone just to pump himself up and say, hey, look at me, aren't I great? No, he spelled out the reason, which was, I want you, Father, to, to answer me now and send fire because I want you to turn the hearts of people who are following false gods back to you, the living God, because I know only in you will there be life. All the things that we follow in life, all the bars, the spiritual lords, the things that have mastery over our lives will demand that you perform and perform and perform. And it will lead to you cutting and cutting and cutting because it's a dead end and it's just destruction at the end of that. But the living God wants to flood your life with love and with light. And that is the lavish love that both Jason and Jenny were talking about. You know, all false gods will demand of you. And yet Jesus, the true and living God, instead of demanding from you, he freely gives to you. You know, these prophets had, had walked up the mountain to, to perform these sacrifices. Well, 850 years or so after these events, Jesus, God's son, came into this world and he went up another mountain. He went up the Mount, up Mount Calvary. He went up Golgotha and he was crucified for us. He became the sacrifice for us. And in complete distinction to, to the, the false gods, Jesus, instead of saying, you perform for me and then I'll accept you, he said, no, I am going to perform for you. I am going to die for you. I'm going to live the life you haven't. I'm going to pay for all the wrong things you've ever done. And instead of Jesus saying, you cut yourself, you beat yourself up, he's saying, no, I am going to be cut for you. And when he died on the cross, his, nail, his, his hands were nailed to the cross. His feet was nailed to the cross. A spear was thrust into the, his side. He bled and he poured out his heart and his life for you. And that fire that we saw did, that did fall for, for Elijah on that mountain, well, the same fire fell upon Jesus as he took the fire of God's judgment on himself. Why? So that you and I could receive the fire of God's love for you, that lavish love that both Jason and Jenny have received and spoke about tonight. And, and just as Elijah's sacrifice was accepted by, by God, we know that if anyone trusts in Jesus, his sacrifice for all people across all times and in all places, his sacrifice will be enough to forgive you and to bring you into that relationship that Elijah had with God, Jason and Jenny have with God, that I have with God. His death is enough for that. Why? Because his death was acceptable to God. It got the thumbs up because three days after dying, Jesus rose again. Death could not hold Jesus. Why? Because he is the living God who is so alive that he wants to give you life now, eternal life, relationship with him and his father and his spirit. This is what Jesus offers to each one of us. And if you tonight us are realizing that you are just, you're, you are limping through life and you're gonna be limping into all eternity, being in this place of darkness, cut off from the living God in the place the Bible calls hell. If you're realizing that's, that's really my fate 
because I see that's the way I've been living, then he is calling you tonight to come and to place your trust in the warm, living, kind God, the God who poured out his life for you on the cross. And my question to you tonight is, will you come to Jesus? Will you come and receive his forgiveness? We say, I want you now. If you want to do that, why not? Why not pray with me now? Um, I'll say a prayer and you can just say a big hearty amen to it in your head out loud or whatever. Um, but feel free to pray and, and ask Jesus to come and forgive you right now. Let's pray. Father God, I'm realised tonight that I have been spending my life following all manner of different gods that are not living gods. They're dead and they have led me down a dead end. I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of working my fingers down to the bone to try and gain the approval of others and the approval of, of you. I pray that you forgive me tonight for living my life for false gods. And I thank you so much that Jesus, the true and living God, came down and he bled and died for me so that I could be forgiven and that I can now know you, Father. Father, I pray that you would forgive me. I pray now that you would give me new life by your spirit. And Father, I pray that I would now live with Jesus as my Lord, as my living God. Please would you do that for me right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. A door that is open and you may go in. An old wooden cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. And all that can stop you is your foolish pride. Won't you admit that you've cheated and lied? But that is the reason the dear Savior died. So come as a sinner to Jesus. Won't you come as a sinner to Jesus? Peace and forgiveness, the satisfied mind, the sum of the treasures of heaven you'll find. So leave what is hateful and hurtful behind and come as a sinner to Jesus. There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin, a door that is open and you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Won't you come as a sinner to Jesus? Please come as a sinner to Jesus.